Welcome everyone to episode 139 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin and Jamie Barson as we react to the news that Liverpool have moved for Dominic Soboslai. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Liverpool are signing Soboslai from Leipzig for £60 million after activating his release clause. There's a medical to do, we've just learned just as we've started recording that that's potentially scheduled for today or the first part of it at least. And then obviously it's a matter of agreeing personal terms, but every indication is that that's not going to be a problem. And if all goes well, Soboslite will become the second signing of the summer after Alexis McAllister. So we're going to obviously offer our reaction to that as Liverpool fans. But before that, earlier on today, I spoke to a Soboslite aficionado and Hungarian football writer who's given us the full lowdown on the player. And I'm joined now by the Liverpool.com writer, Ben Bocak. And Ben is someone who is uh, very much an expert on, on Dominic Sobosly. Um And working together, as, as we have, Ben, I've, I've been able to sort of detect how excited you've been about this deal. It feels like a bit of a, a dream come true on your end. So I, I guess before we get into Sobosly in a bit more detail, I mean... What are your kind of personal feelings on this deal? I mean, it's huge, you know. I mean, we, like you said, we work together for Liverpool.com and, uh, you know, probably as well as everyone else does who we work together, I've written a few articles about Sobosay and why he would be a good fit for Liverpool over the last uh, sort of two years that that I've been working on Liverpool.com. So uh, it kind of feels surreal, to be honest, to actually see it happen. I mean... Um, it's not the first time that I've written an, an opinion article and we've actually gone on to sign them. I think Calvin Ramsey was another one, but mm. you know, I, I don't want to jinx it for Dominic and <laughs> have him turn out similar, but obviously Ramsey's very young and he could have a, a very bright future still at Liverpool as well, and I think he will do. Uh, but yeah, on, on that level, it feels surreal. It feels like... Uh, I'm in a sort of alternate reality, a different dimension almost, you know. Um, I I never believed in those manifestation stuff, but, you know, now maybe I'm start, starting to believe it a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah. So you, you certainly put the um, put the work in on that front. I'm, I'm a bit jealous, to be fair. Like, it does seem very satisfying to sort of, like, advocate for a signing for so long and then and then finally see it come to fruition. I think I'll, I think I'll have to start sort of... Um, doing that for for a few players and just trying to manifest it like you did but um let's kind of move on to like the player himself then um obviously it's not easy to kind of sum this up quickly but what are sort of you know the, the key points of his game and i suppose what kind of midfielder can liverpool fans expect mm. i mean obviously if you go on youtube everyone can see he's got phenomenal striking technique i think it's one of the best in the world. Uh, the the only other person who I've seen score long range goals and be so such a threat from set pieces over the last few years is Trent Alexander Arnold. And obviously, you know, he's now they're going to be teammates potentially playing on on the same side. Uh, that that's going to be very interesting. Um, and I think uh, other than that, for me, uh, one of the biggest strengths is you know. He's been training with Red Bull system since he was 14 years old. Um, initially, he, he only travelled there, I think, once or twice every every other week or, or something like that because, you know, 
he wasn't allowed to officially sign for them, but he, he has been in that system for a long time now. And then at 16, he moved it full time to Salzburg and Red Bull. And um, he's ingrained in that gig and pressing model. And uh, he, he really he knows gig and pressing off by heart now. And, and he's just a very typical Jürgen Klopp player in that sense, because He's someone who brings a lot of energy in the midfield. He presses a lot, uh, obviously. Unfortunately, FBRF doesn't do statistics when it comes to pressures per 90. But when they did do it, he was in the upper 90th percentile all the time. And that's one of the reasons why I advocated for him to, 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 to be signed by Liverpool, because uh, that's the kind of player Liverpool need. And then over the course of last season, we kind of saw how the energy in that midfield was sapped a little bit. You know, we we weren't as as we were in in in, in Klopp's great teams. Uh, we didn't have the pressing of Henderson and Ronaldo and you know Oxley Chamberlain in in really good form and Naby Keita not being injured and actually being pretty good as well because he was. Let's be let's be honest. When when he wasn't injured and he was on it, he was uh, another typical Klopp player. Um, and and I think. That's what stands out to me the most is is I think Dominic coming in and then also McAllister coming in, who's a similar type of player, just on, on the left side of midfield. That's really going to take us back to, to that level of, uh, of of the midfield that we had then. Potentially even better, I think. You know, if, if you look at the pedigree of the two signings, uh, Dominic is one of the best players in the Bundesliga. I don't think Naby Keita was up there as one of the best. Uh, I don't think he had the status when he came. And, uh, you know, if you compare Ronaldo to McAllister, McAllister is a World Cup winner who, you know, just led Brighton to a historic season competing in Europe. Whereas when Ronaldo arrived, he uh, was part of a relegated side and albeit he was a really talented player. But I think potentially there's an argument that these two signings are of higher quality and of higher calibre than uh, the the midfield that Jurgen Klopp had in Liverpool's prime during the, the Premier League title win and the Champions League win and, and, and that those seasons. Yeah, as much as some of those players, you know, the likes of Wijnaldum, Henderson, you know, I think have already and will sort of have when they when they retire, you know, legendary status at Liverpool. You, you could argue that it was a bit of a functional midfield, whereas this one, you know, seems to have a, a bit more in the way of quality. I mean, especially with, you know, someone like Thiago potentially um, in reserve. Um, obviously, you know, Curtis Jones excelling as well. Harvey Elliott, a bright young player. So it is it is coming exciting in there. Um, I think, you know, the combination you mentioned with Trent Alexander-Arnold is going to be, be brilliant. And obviously, you know, the Red Bull point too. I mean, this, I think, is the, the fourth player Liverpool will have signed now from one of the Red Bull clubs during Klopp's tenure. So that just proves your point, I suppose, about how closely it aligns with um, Klopp's style of football. But when you look at um, Soboslai's uh, transfer market page um, for last season, the thing that jumps out is that he actually played the majority of his minutes as a winger um, rather than a midfielder. Obviously, we're looking at him as, as the next piece of our midfield rebuild. So... I mean, how versatile is he, and you know, how many different positions can you actually see him playing for Liverpool? I, I mean, I take I take it the the position where we are going to see him most is going to be that sort of advanced um, number eight on the right side, where we saw sort of Henderson and Elliot towards the end of last season. Yeah, I think transfer market is a bit 
misleading in that regard, just because officially it states that he's a right winger, but um, he's more of a right-sided midfielder if you look at his heat maps in terms of where he's playing at the moment, uh, or where he was playing, sorry, in, in, in Leipzig. If you look at the heat maps, he was drifting into central areas, not kind of hogging the line, but coming in, uh, cutting inside, uh, playing in those central channels, maybe sometimes even playing in and around the box and, and, and those type of things. So, yeah, I think um, that that's, that's the kind of position that I see him in. And in terms of his versatility, I think, yeah, he's quite versatile in... in you know, maybe he might not be able to play the the winger in Jurgen Klopp's system. Mm. I can't see him. He's not a Salah. He's not a Sadio Mane. He's not a Luis Diaz. So I can't see him playing that role. But uh, I think he'd be equally as comfortable playing on the left-sided midfield role. Um, that's where he plays a lot for Hungary. He kind of takes up the left side uh, in the Hungarian midfield. So I can see him doing that. Um, and when he first started to emerge... Um, at, at academy level, he was a holding. So, um, you know, I I I, I don't know if uh, we're going to see him playing a holding midfield role. I mean, he's certainly evolved uh, a little bit, but um, that's kind of shows you his versatility as well. And uh, I think as a potential, um, you know, the sort of it highlights. The potential of his defending ability and his qualities because uh, he's someone who at youth level was capable of playing that holding midfield role i don't think he can do it for liverpool but the fact that he did that's where he kind of started out for salzburg and and for the hungarian national team shows you the level of uh, sort of tactical intelligence and uh you know, the, the, the sort of like readiness in, in terms of you know, at such a young age, being able to play multiple roles. Um, and I think it also stems from when his father was coaching him, and I spoke to his father, um, he, he started out his, he started out this own academy uh, to help Dominic, and um, they did some really unique techniques in terms of teaching the, the players. Uh, one of them was um, having, instead of bibs, having headbands, uh, which obviously helps in terms of vision, you know, being aware mm. of your teammates on the pitch, look, teaches you to look up all the time. And then the other thing in terms of defending was uh, he'd make Dominic hold golf balls in his hands while teaching him how to defend, which is obviously, it teaches a player, you know, I'm, we've all played five-a-side before, we've all played, you know, Sunday league football, and, and we're all guilty of using our hands a little bit too much, but... Uh, you know, if you're holding golf balls, it teaches you not to use your hands and, and to actually, you know, defend with your feet and, and, and with your body. And I think uh, that's something that's made him uh, a better player as a, re- a result. And I think his defending is quite underrated as well because of that. Yeah, from the sort of research I've done, there was sort of some talk about the defensive work maybe being flagged up as a weakness earlier in his career and then sort of become a more of a strength now I mean you mentioned some of the press and statistics earlier I think the whole like winger thing is interesting you know I, I wrote yesterday about whether it was going to be feasible um and I kind of came to the same conclusion as you you know we said you're not going to get someone who's in the same mold as Mohamed Salah if you were to play him there um partly because you know being right-footed he can't sort of um wouldn't necessarily be cutting in 
um, in the same way that uh, Salah Salah does, and I suppose that kind of lends itself nicely to the um, the left side of midfield role that you mentioned in terms of his kind of shooting ability. It'd be, it'd be good for him to sort of cut in off that flank and and go for goal. But um, that leads us into discussing whether he kind of has any weaknesses. I mean, again, one of the things that that sort of was a bit of a theme when I was reading about him was that it was actually a bit of a, a difficult start for him at Leipzig. I mean, is there any chance that I mean, obviously he was a young player, so you got to take that into account. But is there any chance maybe that repeats at Liverpool and he takes like a season to you know fully ramp up and we maybe see the best of him in twenty twenty four? I'm I'm not sure. I think uh, obviously he's a different player now than when he moved to Leipzig. And you got to remember he had uh, a, 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 his only serious injury at, when he arrived at Leipzig. Leipzig. So he was signed in January. Uh, but couldn't get any minutes because, um, you know, I think he was still a teenager at the time and he was going through some growing problems and uh, uh, I think he was still, I think he grew a couple of inches and obviously that affected him uh, a little bit and uh, um, he just had to take some time out. So that wasn't ideal, whereas, you know, Fingers crossed, touching wood. Uh, he's not gonna get an injury or, or anything. Hopefully, when he when he comes to Liverpool, um, and and that set him back a little bit for sure at Leipzig. Um, then Jesse Marsh came in, who, who knew him from his Salzburg days really well, and uh, I think Jesse Marsh um, was obviously then was let go very early on at Leipzig. He, he had a very brief stay there and. Um, Dominic Tedesco came in, who is he's an interesting character. He's uh, had uh, some weird ideas about where to play uh, Dominic. Uh, he played him at right wing back a couple of times in a in a in a sort of back five, back three system. Um, and I think his teammates were even like joking about him being a, a right wing back from now on and stuff like that after he played a couple of games there. And uh, Obviously, he wasn't too pleased uh, when when that was going on. Was off, but um, when he wasn't starting, he was coming off the bench and making an impact. Uh, you know, he's mm. coming on, getting assists, getting goals. And I think um, that kind of shows you the confidence that he has in himself. Uh, he, he didn't let that affect him. And then in the end, uh, you know, his hard work paid off. Uh, Tedesco was let go. Marco Rose came in. Uh, Marco Rosa is someone who's known him in his Salzburg days. I think he was a pretty significant figure in, in terms of getting the best out of him at Salzburg when Dominic was coming through. Uh, he uh, it, it was similar. It was a similar situation with uh, Rosa when uh, Dominic was, you know, kind of 18, 19, and at this point he was a. You know, he'd been training with the senior national team. He actually trained with the national team when he was 16 years old. So at, it was a weird time for him because at international level, by then he was a senior international, but he still wasn't playing for Salzburg. And he, you know, Hungarians then were waiting like, when is he going to play? When is he going to get his debut? Because he was having an incredible season at, at Liefering as well, like really dominating. And I think got double figures and both goals and assists. And... Uh, Rosa came in, um, sorry, Rosa was at Salzburg and um, there was a moment when the likes of Juventus and uh, 
some other big Italian clubs were interested in him. And uh, he came really close to, to, to leaving. But then um, he remembers saying like, uh, you know what? No, I'm, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to take the easy way out. I'm going to prove myself to, to Marco Rosa. And he obviously did. And, and then the rest is history. He managed to convince Rosa to play him and that he was ready. And, uh, you know, I think because of that, the two have a really special connection. And when they reunited at Leipzig, um, uh, Dominic went straight into the first team. I think it was Rosa's first game when uh, Dominic scored an insane goal against Dortmund from long range. Uh, that's been good, doing the rounds quite a lot since uh, uh, all, all this news broke. Um, uh, I'm sure you've seen it. It's, it's a pretty Gerard-esque goal, I would say, uh, a proper Thunderbolt. Um, and yeah, and then after that, he became Leipzig's best player pretty much uh, straight away, playing in, in his favoured positions rather than um, as a right wing back that he was under Tedesco. Yeah, I think it's um, it's worth considering, I suppose, that he has been through, you know, a couple of uh, managerial changes at Leipzig and it's never easy, I suppose, for a player to to thrive all the time in that environment. But he's obviously, you know, excelled under, under Rosa like you say. Um, just one last question then, Ben. Um, I've you know, you've written about kind of Sobosly the man. I think that's obviously important as well. Liverpool will look into character references quite a lot. You've you know, you've spoken to people close to him. I mean, what are the, the main things that, that stand out about his character and his personality? I think uh, the number one thing is just he's football mad. He's obsessed with football. Um he uh one of his best mates in, in football is Erling Haaland. So, I mean, they're similar type of characters, I think, to, to, with Haaland. Uh, he's very confident in himself. Um, but at the same time, he's also very humble. And, you know, like Haaland, he's just a normal young 20-year-old, you know. Uh, and, and he, like, like I shared on Twitter, uh, when Hungary lost to Italy in the Nations League, uh, we could have got into the semi-finals of the tournament, but unfortunately uh, we lost to Italy and then didn't make it. Um, he went to a local pub uh, with a couple of his other Hungarian national teammates and served pints. Uh, many have pointed out rather poorly, uh, uh, but you know he, he was there and he, he loves to be in and amongst the fans and. Uh, just being involved in that kind of things, and uh, he he's quite down to earth. From you know, I've I I know some of his friends, and uh, they all tell me you know he's he he's a really chill guy. He he'll take photos with anyone when you're walking around with him, and um, I think he understands the the kind of role model he is in Hungary as well because he's got. Uh, you know, 10 million people now in the entire country watching him. And uh, I think uh, that's Liverpool fans are going to realise that as well. Like Hungarian fans are crazy about football and uh, Liverpool's social media channels are, are going to get a lot more followers from that region. Yeah, it seems like the whole sort of... Um from the glimpses I've seen on Twitter, it seems almost like the whole nation's been been pulling for the transfer. And mm. if, like you, if, like you say, you know, he does value that fan connection, then I'm sure he'll form that bond with the Liverpool supporters very quickly and be, be a very popular signing indeed. So let's get the Liverpool fan perspective on things now. Um, Chris, I'll start with you. 
obviously yesterday this all kind of accelerated. We'd known since earlier in the week that Liverpool had, had held talks uh, with Leipzig, but initially were a bit pessimistic about whether they could get a deal done. But then yesterday, all of a sudden, Liverpool are confident, and then by the evening, the release clause has been triggered, the deal's been agreed, and um, the player is on his way to Anfield. So, yeah, just your initial thoughts. Buzzing, really, really excited about it. Wasn't quite of the Fabinho level of reporting to being done. I don't think anything will be. I don't think anything will be an hour um, like that did back in 2018. But uh, I, I think it's an exciting move. Literally, the last time I spoke to you about two weeks ago or so, I, I've I've kind of reflected on it and realised how, how kind of impatient I sounded. Just because, you know, you, you're here, you kind of get swept up, don't you, with Twitter and what people are saying and all this kind of stuff. But Ultimately, now, if you look at it, Liverpool are going into July with two brand new midfielders, two exciting midfielders, two midfielders that will definitely improve Liverpool in areas that they were looking to improve. And I think Sobosly is a really exciting addition. Uh, I have to say, I've watched him for a couple of years, um, given how nerdy I am with all forms of European football. And I keep forgetting he's only 22, just because of his ability, how long he's been around, the the you know, the senior position he now holds within the Hungarian national team as well. And he's a player that I'm seeing a lot of people be sad at leaving the Bundesliga. A lot of people as well being happy that he's leaving the Bundesliga because the teams that have to be up against him all the time. But he's got a lot of traits that I think will complement this Liverpool team. Most likely to slot into that right central midfield position, which is a key component. You've got maybe McAllister on the left-hand side, Sobosly on the right-hand side. So it, it, it's a combination that I'm really looking forward to seeing. And as well, one thing about Sobosly that I'm really excited to see, using excited a lot, but <laughs> just just the matter of the, the signing, um, his shooting from range, because I think that's a really key part of his game. And aside from Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, in terms of the midfield options, and we hardly saw Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain for the last few years, he, you know, there weren't really shooters from distance, but that's a really important trait of Sobosly's game, apart, especially from set pieces. I'm sure we've all seen the various um, clips, the various assists that he's got and goals as well. So I think he's a player that will really complement Liverpool. We're led to believe that Klopp has spoken to the player. And is is this another sign of Jurgen Klopp's pulling power in a season where Liverpool aren't in the Champions League? Um, so it's a really, really good signing, I think. And uh, looking forward to, to for the for, for the full unveiling. Yeah, definitely. And um, I, I completely agree with you in the sense of. It does feel like, you know, when I checked his age earlier in the week, obviously when, when the reports came out, to be fair, I was expecting maybe 24 because yeah, it does feel like he's been around for so long and it feels like he's been a player sort of semi on Liverpool's radar, I suppose, for that amount of time too. Um, I just wanted to pull up a stat on this actually. So he's only played, you know, 62 Bundesliga games uh, for Leipzig, which isn't a huge amount. I think ideally kind of a recruitment team for a top club would want maybe about 100 in a kind of top five league. Um, but crucially, having played for Salzburg first before moving to Leipzig, he's already played 23 games in the Champions League, 
um, and eight more in the Europa League. So he does have sort of a decent amount of experience at the highest level. And like you mentioned, um, also kind of playing for his national team uh, consistently, although he did, I believe, miss the uh, European Championships a, a couple of years ago through injury. Um, same question to you then, Jamie. I mean, what were your feelings yesterday um, when this story broke? Yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely on the same page. I'm <laughs> I'm buzzing with this one. I, I I remember coming on to talk about Alexis McAllister a couple of weeks ago, and I I might have rubbed someone or uh, people up kind of the wrong way a little bit, saying that I thought it was a sensible signing, but that it, it kind of wasn't kind of that star name or whatever that I was kind of hoping for in in the summer. And and this one, so I was like, absolutely is. It ticks every single box for me. Um, you you can see how coming from a Leipzig team. He can just fit straight in with with everything that we do in terms of our, our pressing game, how we like to build play. Uh, it just seems kind of like square peg, square hole to me. I think, um, yeah, what you touched on with his, his, his experience is great. Yeah, he's, uh, he's 22, but he's captain of his national team. He's got that Champions League experience. He's got Europa League experience, which might actually be more pertinent to us this season. Um, and so absolutely buzzing. I think the fee... It's 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 a big fee. Seems pretty fair to me in this market. If you see someone like Mason Mount going for for a similar fee, uh, absolutely, he's he's got more Premier League experience and he's he's obviously won the Champions League. But he's only got one year left on his deal, uh, as far as I'm aware. Uh, and this is a player Sobislai with three years left on his deal, seemingly very happy where he is. And so it was going to take a, a a big amount to kind of get him out of Leipzig. Um, and all the all the indications are that he's really excited to come to the club. That he, he he he's really excited, especially to play under Jurgen Klopp. It's someone who he's spoken about a lot in the past. Uh, <laughs> couldn't seem to kind of shut him up on the subject a bit, which I love. Um, and so yeah, I mean, as I was saying, it just it just ticks every single box to me. I think it also kind of shows our commitment to this new shape um, because I don't really see where he fits in in a kind of old style 4-3-3 workhorse midfield. To me, it, it makes so much more sense having having this kind of uh, right right eight in a in a three box three formation. That just kind of fits in like a glove to me. I remember again when we were talking about Alexis McAllister a couple of weeks ago, we were kind of wondering where he might fit in and we were wondering for Jones, what it meant for Henderson, what it meant for Thiago. And it almost seemed like we didn't really exactly know uh, of the names that we were linked with where where the kind of right center mid was and obviously Sobosla's name hadn't come up yet it was kind of uh Turam, Kone, even Lavia and none of them quite made sense for that 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 role that Henderson's in at the moment and this one just absolutely does it just makes so much sense to me um just get it done <laughs> yeah absolutely and um well we'll kind of I suppose we should we should touch on uh, the fee now. Um, I see, it is you know, obviously J- J- Jamie acknowledges that it is it is quite a big fee, Chris. I mean, it's the most of a pool of ever played ever paid for a uh, midfield player. Um, it's maybe a little bit above what we normally see in terms of Liverpool's kind of price range. Um, more more kind of forty five fifty million um kind of ways, but. It seems like they tried to negotiate something low with Leipzig, and, and Leipzig essentially told them that no, you're gonna to have to do it on our terms. And um, Chris Williams, we've had on the podcast before, actually said that Liverpool have, have 
basically been forced to pay in a lump sum. So whether they've done that out their own account or whether um, they've kind of loaned the money from elsewhere and then they're going to have to kind of pay off the fee to, to a third party, um, we'll see. But yeah, a lot of money, same amount um, as, as Mason Mount um, for someone who is a little bit younger, doesn't have that Premier League experience, but obviously didn't have that year left on his contracts. I mean, where do you sit on the price tag? Because it does put a bit of pressure on the player, doesn't it? I mean, 60 million, that, that is a lot. It is, and I think it's fair comment that you make about it being maybe a little bit more than Liverpool would pay in recent years for players. I've looked at it a few ways. I think, first of all, to release clause. So, you, the fact that it was widely reported that it was expiring yesterday, you wonder what kind of fee Leipzig would have been commanding from today onwards. And I think it would have been more towards 90 million euros plus mm. I, I think considering considering his contract finishes in 2026 I think they would have commanded something far greater than 60 million pounds so you look at it that's a bit of a discount in itself I do like a discount and I, I, again I've looked I've kind of compared it to a, a few ways so Mason Mount as well when I was here I mean because Chelsea have Chelsea have taken a few million pounds off, I think it's fair to say, in terms of what they were originally reporting. It was around 75, 80 million pounds they wanted originally. For playing the last year of his contract that wasn't going to sign a new one. That was just quite crazy for me, given that Mason Mount, I know there was injuries involved, but he, he wasn't playing regularly from Chelsea from a point onwards after the World Cup yes, uh, last season anyway. So there's that as well. And I, I to compare it to another player as well, and I'm a big fan of Declan Rice. But Liverpool have got Alexis McAllister and Dominic Sabozlai for less for a, for a combined fee. I know Alexis McAllister could rise slightly, but at the moment it's a combined fee less than that of Declan Rice's. And I was wondering as well because, of course, the whole Bellingham stuff at the start of the summer. You wonder McAllister and Sabozlai's wages—they could easily be about about what Declan Rice is earning. Certainly less than what Jude Bellingham is earning at Real Madrid. So it could be financially making sense for Liverpool. It'd be interesting, like if if, if you guys were offered Jude Bellingham or Alexis McAllister, Dominic Sabozlai, another midfielder, and a centre back, which of the two options would you've taken? Because as much as Jude Bellingham is incredible, I would have sided towards the the, the options that would have given more depth. To be honest, especially if it would have blown the entire budget just on on Jude Bellingham. So I think there's a few ways to look at it, but ultimately. Uh, release clause is a release clause, and I think after Neymar, I, I, I do think that it, the, the, the market continues to be warped, and who knows that in a couple of years' time, this could be seen to be a very good fee for Liverpool, but in terms of the pressure it might bring on the player, I think, I've said it before, every signing is a risk, but yeah. as long as Klopp believes in him, the player believes in him, the the fan base seems united on this front, which is a very good thing, given how divisive it has, or just divided it has been at times, certainly on social media. So, yeah, I, I think it, it all points towards a good signing. Of course, the player has to deliver on that himself. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the, re- the reason we, we look at Mount as kind of the reference, but obviously it's the same amount of money, but also th- that was a player that, really look like one of Liverpool's top targets. I mean, you're looking at kind of Jude Bellingham being the number one for age as well, but there was every indication that Mount was kind of number two on that list. In the end, he's obviously, 
you know, preferred to go to Manchester United. I did want I did want Liverpool to sign Mount, but not for sixty million. I think I probably would have been more of a mind to pay sort of maximum fifty for them. So it'll be interesting to see how those obviously those two players perform next season because they're bound to be compared on that basis. I think you make a great point about the wages as well, Chris. I mean, Liverpool, I think one of the reasons they don't shop in the very kind of top of the football markets is that they like to be able to give a player that sort of mid-level contract when they come in. I mean, it wouldn't be surprised if these two players that Liverpool have acquired that will be on sort of somewhere between um, 100 and 140 in their first contract, maybe even less than that. I mean, McAllister especially wouldn't have been earning that much money at Brighton, even if he had had a, a pay rise, um, I think, when he signed a new contract. So I think that's obviously very advantageous too. It lowers the overall cost. And then if those players do well, when it comes to the contract renewal phase, then that that's when they can get kind of the the real sort of top club um, money. So so that definitely makes sense too. But Jamie, um, I want to just read you some some of the numbers around around Sabasly because like I want to kind of dig into what our impressions of of the player have been. Um, so when you look at him, I mean, a couple of things stand out. I mean, his work rate is brilliant. Um, at the numbers show, really good pressing game, winning the ball high up the pitch. But the main thing that stands out is the creative numbers. So these are some stats from the Bundesliga last season. So Sabasly was eighth for assists, fourth for respected assists, which essentially shows that the chances he's creating were sort of of a very high level and he wasn't just getting lucky with with good finishing. Um, Fourth for key passes, ninth for passes into the box, third for through balls, and second in the whole league for shot-creating actions, um, which is essentially... It, you know, any sort of um, dribble uh, that leads to a shot or winning a free kick or obviously um, playing the pass that leads to a shot, things like that. So 150 of those, which is obviously a enormous volume. So w- what's kind of um, jumped out to you from from what you've seen and, and what you've read about the player? Um, to me, what you kind of see instantly is is his kind of... His ability to strike the ball well, I think, and especially in and around the box, especially finishing, I think that's something that I mean, I I, I love Jordan Henderson. I'm 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 very pro Henderson and, and have been kind of for a while. Um, but that the ability to for the ball to fall to him about 20 yards out or whatever and to put it away, it's never been one of his strengths. He's not that kind of that kind of player. To me, he he, I see him kind of as the Milner going forward and at least the Milner and a kind of a number six role, maybe second to, to Fabinho or whatever. So that was never his strength. And with Sabosli, like what I see, what kind of stands out to you from the from the YouTube clips instantly is just that he can really hit a ball. He can really strike a ball well. Uh, and so I think I got the impression last season that teams started to realise that when we were in and around the box, we weren't going to give it to Henderson, or at least we weren't going to try and play Henderson in, in a position that he could kind of uh, get an assist or, or, or a goal. Um, and when kind of half your your attack down the right is limited because you've got a player who the opposition have worked out isn't going to receive the ball, then obviously that means so much for Salah. That means so much for Trent. That means so much for Gakpo if he's pulling right. And it basically means that you're kind of allowing the opposition to to um, to mark those players more effectively. 
when you've got someone who the ball could just drop to him and he can hit it from 20 yards, he might not do it every time. He might not do it successfully every time. But it gives the opposition so much more to think about when it comes to 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 um, to picking him up, keeping track of him. If you've got a left back, does he go with Salah? Does he go with Sabosli? I also think that you can see his ability to to beat a man on the outside, and and all of our all of our um, players who have played in that position on the kind of the the right eight. They, they tend to come inside, so you've got Harvey Elliott who comes inside. You've got Henderson, who he does go outside, to be fair to him, but he hasn't quite got the pace or, or the, the dribbling ability, certainly nowadays, to get around a man. And so that ability to, as I say, even if he doesn't do it every time, but that ability to kind of offer something new, go around a man, hit it from 20 yards, all of these things just give the opposition so much more to think about and should hopefully give our attack so much more so many and basically another dimension to it uh which is absolutely crucial i think yeah um i think you were quite polite about jordan henderson's uh shooting ability um because as much as i do have obviously a lot of respect for him as a player i think I, we all sort of wince when he when he goes to sort of strike one of them bouncing balls on the edge of the box and definitely don't think the opposition would Regard that as a major threat, although in fairness, he has actually scored a decent amount of long-range goals. It's just the sort of the ones that don't go in, are, um, I think, a bit frustrating, uh, let's say. Um, let's stay on Henderson, Chris. Um, when I spoke to um, to Ben earlier in the podcast, one of the things he said was that it's it's likely that Southside is going to fit into that sort of advanced um, number eight role, and, and that's probably on the right-hand side, and that's probably what everybody expects. Naturally, that's where Henderson was playing towards the end of last season. We saw Javi Elliott there too. I mean, what do you think it means for, for those two players? I mean, Elliott, I, I don't necessarily think his role would change all that much. I mean, there's obviously more competition now, but he wasn't necessarily in the first 11, the back end of the season anyway. I think it's probably more interesting for Henderson in terms of, is he now going to be someone who's used more in that double pivot? Is he going to have to accept the season where... The first time, really, at Liverpool under Klopp, he, he's going to be on the bench for, for the majority of games. I mean, how do you see that one? Well, if it inspires Harvey Elliott to score more goals like he did against Germany under-21s, then I think we'll all take that. <laughs> uh, in regards to Jordan Henderson, I think it, it's kind of been talked about, hasn't it, with regards to taking on the Milner role? Because he is in that kind of moving towards the twilight of his career. He is undoubtedly still an important figure. Um, you, you saw that when there were rumours about him moving to Atletico Madrid and Jurgen Klopp did not want him to leave. The same way they didn't want James Milner to leave. Let, let, let's remember this, that it was not Jurgen Klopp's decision that James Milner has left the football club this summer. And I think, therefore, he'll see Jordan Henderson as taking a bigger role. It's interesting in that then you've got the club captain not being a guaranteed starter, although I think probably fair to say that hasn't been the case for a while, really. But even so, more so now than ever, the club captain is now not a guaranteed starter. But that's because rejuvenation is required. Um, I think Henderson will probably accept that as well. I don't think, say for example, there's international prospects that Gareth Southgate, again, still values him very highly as a part of the squad. Um, when you look at, there are other midfielders in 
that England team as well that don't play every game. Just look at Calvin Phillips again. You know, didn't really play at all for Manchester City this season, but uh, but um, Gareth Southgate is very much regarding him as, as a key figure of the squad. And I think that would be the case with Jordan Henderson as well. I think Henderson is Henderson probably regard it as being for the greater good. I think as much as he is someone who's driven, someone who's determined, someone who always wants to give his all for Liverpool. I think he realises the way that it's moving in terms of he's getting older, the midfield needs rejuvenation. Um, you've got a midfielder who's coming in who's over a decade younger than him. That, 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 that's a factor as well. You know, the, Just the legs involved, being able to track back because we all saw it time and time again how easy it was for teams to play through Liverpool's midfield last season. And the whole point about getting legs in there, getting more mobility in there, is for that not to be able to be the case anymore. And I think Sabozlai tracks back as well. And that, I, th- I think that's also a key factor. We're talking about his attacking elements here. To be a midfielder in the Jurgen Klopp Liverpool, you need to track back. And I think that's something that he will be tasked with. I think that's something that he'll embrace. And it's something that will be a, a key part of his game. And then Henderson coming on, I think he might take a few less yellow cards than Milner, as that almost seemed to be in his contract. But I think Henderson will play that kind of anchoring role late on in games. When Liverpool need to be locking up shop, when Liverpool need to be careful as well. And I've also seen that Sabozlai can play on the right wing as well, which could be interesting when Salah goes off to AFCON, which is something that, you don't really think about until you check the calendar and you realise there's an AFCON in the middle of the season uh, because they seem to switch the dates on a regular basis from the summer to the winter, but it, that that is what it is. So I think on Jordan Henderson, you'll see some boys like coming in. He, he's, he's an intelligent man. He'll know what it means for him. And I'm, I'm sure discussions will be had as well. And I think he'll also be able to nurture Sabozlai as well, just say these things, do these things this is what the club means this is how people will treat you, this is how people will adore you uh, and if you play well then then you'll, you'll repay in that faith so I think Henderson's got a big role to play still on and off the pitch as well Absolutely he's not necessarily going to sort of lose, lose his importance um, I think he is going to still be a key figure, I mean especially you know the good thing for Liverpool's players who aren't in that first eleven this season, and I don't think Henderson will be anymore, certainly maybe after the early weeks of the season, um, is that with the Europa League, there's definitely more of an inclination to to rotate now. Um, yes. Oh, yes. Probably playing, I mean, even the Europa League group games is, is dependent on who's the opposition, obviously, could essentially just be a, a big team for, for some of those matches. Um, but we'll obviously see how that one pans out. So let's get a bit of a temperature check then on this midfield rebuild. Um, Liverpool have spent about £95 million up to this point. They've got a midfield at the moment that looks like it would be Fabinho, Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, Alexis McAllister and Dominic Sobersly, which sounds you know really exciting on paper. And it is finally getting to the stage where you're feeling like it's a bit refreshed and it's got that injection of quality that it's sorely needed. But Jamie, what do you think uh, Liverpool need from here? I think there is a need for a defender as well, but specifically on the midfield, do, do you reckon another signing is necessary? And, and if so, what what kind of player would you be looking to bring in? 
I do, yeah, I do. I don't want to be all greedy about it, but I, I, I think absolutely the the idea of Fabinho being in the same form this season coming as he was last season kind of utterly terrifies me. I think uh, there's concerns from what I gather around whether Bajetic, uh whether Bajetic is going to be able to come back in and start the season uh, in terms of his fitness record. So I wouldn't count on that just yet. Um, so absolutely, I think the names are kind of flying around and it's hard to know where they envision someone like Kefren Turam. But if they do envision, envision him in that number six role alongside, in, alongside Trent Alexander-Arnold, then absolutely, I think that's where that's where we have to go in. So yeah, no, it's 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 hard to see where they envision Turam, Kefren Turam. Um, but if that's where they see him, then I think that's the guy to go for. There would have, there would absolutely be a bit of a project there, I think, because he's not the traditional number six right now. Um, and maybe they see him in that double double pivot role alongside Alexander Arnold, being able to kind of transition into that. If they don't, then I guess. The only kind of pure six who we've really been linked with is, is Romeo Lavia. And again, even though he is a pure six, I think that's another that's another project right there. He's, I, I like the player. I think it would be a good signing. But um, I do wonder whether he could come in, especially if, I don't know, Fabinho got injured early in the season and Bajetic was still out. I would have questions over whether Lavia could come in and, and do kind of 90s every, every week in, in big games. So... I wonder, I wonder whether there's another name that they're looking at that we don't know about in the same way that Saboslai kind of came out of left field a bit. Um, I wonder whether there's another kind of pure six with a little bit more experience than Lavia, especially given now that Kone seems to have picked up this injury that meant he was on crutches at the Euro under-21s. Um, I wonder whether there's another name that we don't know about just yet. Uh, or it could just be that they see Turam stepping into that role. But again, as I say, that that would really really be a transition for me, and that that kind of scares me, given how how um, demanding our our early fixtures appear to be on paper. Yeah, to Turam alongside Trent Alexander Arnold would feel certainly very bold, but he's an interesting one to to look at because. I think you know, you mentioned Sabasly quite rightly, uh, not fully out of left field because there have been sort of links there or thereabouts for a while. But we did think I think it was going to be um, Taram was the most likely to be the next signing. I mean, the list seemed to be uh, Taram, Vega, uh, Kone, Lavia, and, and Gravenberch, um, and then obviously Sabasly has just kind of been the one that Liverpool have gone for. Um, so. I suppose we, we do have to, like you say, Jamie, sort of be ready for the possibility that it isn't a player that we've heard too much about so far and that it does just kind of move quite quickly because that's how Liverpool do their business. But, Chris, my concern in terms of the number six position, because that is, you know, we, we've done the two advanced dates. Alexander-Arnold is is in there on sort of the right side of that double pivot. You know, that's... That, that's certainly not an issue. That's probably one of Liverpool's strengths at the moment. So the one you look at naturally is the Fabinho position. My, my concern is, and Jamie mentioned it there, is by Sesic. You know, if you bring in someone like Lavia, if you bring in even someone like Kone, then 
I feel like you're essentially saying to him, or you're saying to the player who comes in, that they're not going to be kind of that that first choice uh, in that position long term. And it's really difficult by Stetich because he's still so early in his development that you wouldn't kind of ex- you know trust him to start the games now. But at the same time, he, he has shown enough to suggest he can be that player. So it's a big quandary for Liverpool in that area, added to by the fact that Fabinho had a poor three quarters of the season and then a more encouraging sort of final quarter of it. So what do you think Liverpool do now? Do you think they, do you think they bring in another maybe number eight who can bolster their, their squad depth? Or do you think they do need to just bite the bullet and, and get another, another number six in the door? I think I've sounded like a broken record on this podcast the amount of times I've talked about the lack of depth in Fabinho's role. Because that's been one of my main concerns for years, not just the last season, like for years. And you mentioned Turam there. That would be my concern in that you're buying someone who's an eight to kind of mould into a six. Because in, in the same way, I'm looking at it from Arsenal, say with, with Declan Rice, for example. I genuinely believe he would have been better suited to City because he could have played alongside Rodri and been a box-to-box man. Whereas for Arsenal, if he's coming in to replace Thomas Partey, who's rumoured to be leaving, that's not using Declan Rice to the best of his abilities. So that is what I, that's how I look at Kefren Turam. Because originally, I thought he was more of a six. But the more I've seen of him, it's clear that he likes to get on the ball, he likes to get forward, likes to contribute, which tends to be more of the role of an eight. So you don't want to bring someone in who's already young and then have to mould into an entirely new position, maybe that they're not totally that used to. On Lavia, I've got a mate who's a Southampton fan, and I messaged him the other day just saying, Romeo Lavia, talk to me. And he said he's going to be some player but he's not sure Liverpool is the right move for him right now. And I can totally understand that. I don't expect him to stay at Southampton because I think the interest is there. In a way, maybe a season at Southampton could do him a bit of good in terms of he's playing the physical league. Um, he would play, you'd imagine, pretty much every game, even though it's a 46-game season. It's a grueling process, plus cup games. But... Again, I, I just don't think any of us expect Romeo Lavia to be a Southampton player come the start of the season. I'm hearing, we're, we're, I think we're all hearing about 50 mil for him. 50 mil for me doesn't scream a backup. And if he came in for 50 mil, I wouldn't expect him to be back up. So that, when you talk about pressure early on with Savoslai, 50 million for Lavia would give him much more pressure than 60 million for Savoslai would, in my opinion. Because Soboslai, that, that's a release clause. It's a player who's played in the Champions League, played in the Europa League, played international, international captain, and he'd come in with the quality that we all know. Lavia is so much more raw, but for that fee, I wouldn't be expecting him to be benched because I feel that was almost a bit of a waste, really. Whereas there probably are sixes out there that you can look for for a not too dissimilar fee that could go straight in. So it's up to Klopp whether if he really likes Lavia, as we're led to believe, does he then trust Lavia to overtake Fabinho? And it's interesting you mentioned about the Europa League. I think that's a good chance for, as you say, rotation. I'd imagine, I think Kelleher, if he stays, would start every group every group game, for example. Lavia, experience would get in the Europa League, for example. But again, I'd, I'd, I'd want 
I'd want to know that he'd be able to start in Premier League games. Given the away games, Jamie mentioned, the, the, the first six away games are grueling. You won't get six tough for away games. So you won't get five tough for away games in a row to start the season. Much tougher than those, really. Um, so I, I, I've been calling for backup in the sixth role for years. And Lavia would definitely be an option for that. But for that fee, I'd be expecting a bit more than a backup. On, on Bersetic, because I haven't really touched on in this answer. Um, I just think he needs... I've, I looked at Mashiach and thought he needed to bulk up a bit. Really, um, and I think that's maybe his body, a bit like Calvin Ramsey. Maybe their bodies were like reacting a bit to the intensity that they had to play with to be in Liverpool squad. And I think if we could bring Brasetic in slowly, that'd be better. But probably depth is needed to be able to do that. So it's interesting, um, and of course. Me and you have mentioned several times about the right back role. We could do an entire podcast on that when you're including Trent as a midfield of what 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 I mean. Um, but yeah, I I I'd, I'd love I'd love a six to to come in this summer. Um, and yeah, I think as Jamie said, if it's not Lavia, it's likely to be a name that we haven't really thought of so far. That that's that that's fair, I think, and um, I absolutely am of the mind that a a third midfielder is needed to complete this rebuild. However, 100%. I am a bit, I'm a bit worried that it, that won't happen. And I don't know. I've not kind of seen whether there's been any reports that Liverpool are going straight for someone else. Um, well, one more thing as well: the the non use, the non sorry, the non homegrown spots. That's almost yeah. something to factor in now. Yeah, because so what's like coming in? That means there's one more available now. So whoever this. Whoever, if, if there is another centre-mid or another centre-back, is the centre-mid non-homegrown or is the centre-back non-homegrown? Because I don't know whether you guys have seen the, the murmurings about Levi Colwell over the last 24 hours, led to believe he is up there for, for Liverpool as, as an option. But at the same time, Chelsea wanting a potential world record fee for yeah. centre-back, despite the fact he's never played a minute for Chelsea. Yeah. And his loads have been at Huddersfield, you know, Huddersfield Town in the Championship where he did play well, apart from scoring an own goal in the playoff final. And Brighton, where he did play very well, but to me, that's not enough to command a world record fee for centre backs. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's another thing to to factor as well. As much as I do like Levi Colwell, yeah, it 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 it's something for the hierarchy to consider. Yeah, I think he only he played like what was it, ten, fifteen games as well at at, at Brighton. I mean, because there was the rotation League, with Web, yeah, was rotation with Adam Webster as well. I think there was an injury or two, wasn't there? So, yeah. Um, look, undoubtedly quality, and uh, I'm sure if, if any sort of links evolve, evolve, because there's contract talks as well with him. He's not the most secure in terms of a contract. Yeah. At Chelsea, um, but yes, that is wandering off on a bit of a tangent. But it's just something I thought of with regards to the homegrown players, especially given that Adrian, after signing a new contract yesterday, he does actually take up a non homegrown yeah. spot, which people can have their own opinions about, but ultimately Jurgen Klopp values him as part of the wider group, and that's why he's, uh, he's he's been kept on. So that Liverpool have to be selective. Unless someone else goes, we'll talk about Matip, Thiago, potentially, as, as players that be interesting to see if any interest develops for them over the summer, but it's something to to be considered. Um, I think their homegrown point is, is really important, as much as it isn't, you know, the most exciting thing it is a key consideration when it comes to 
building this squad. Um, I'm going to come out right now and say I don't think Liverpool are going to get another midfielder um, because I think hold this way, not 90, 95 mil has been spent up to this point. Um, a centre-back is needed. I read the report from David Lynch, very well-connected journalist, who said there's a 100% chance of a bull a defender. So let's say you bring a defender in for um, 35 million. So then you're looking at, you've spent, um, how much money would that be? Would that be about 130 mil at that point? Yes, I did do math. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you spent 130 mil, you've got your two, two midfielders and a defender. Then, you know, you mentioned Lavia, you know, 50 mil. Kone might be about 40. So you're saying 170, 180. That's about what Liverpool spent in their biggest ever summer under FSG um, when Alisson, Keita, Fabinho, Shakiri came in. That was on the back of selling Coutinho. And with all due respect, the most sellable option Liverpool have at the moment is Nat Phillips because they don't seemingly want to sell Calera. So the Let's say they let's say generously they make 20, 25 mil from sales. I mean, it it's not very FSG like at all. And this is a season where we've not qualified for the Champions League. So I'm just based on the track record of the ownership, I'm just a bit worried that they're not gonna basically have a net spend in a transfer window of about 150, 160 million. Um I'd love to be surprised on that. But I, I think that there might just be a centre-back that comes in. But, Jamie, we'll just come to you for sort of uh, the last word on that. What I would say is I wonder whether FSG potentially have been spooked by last season a little bit. And I I think they maybe started to take the Champions League money as a bit of a given. Hmm. And certainly they've been taking Jurgen Klopp as a given. I don't think in my mind there's any doubt about that. And I I wonder whether potentially they've had a bit of a kick up the arse with last season and realised that actually maybe finally they might need to pull their fingers out a little bit and 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 I I don't know I'm not pro or anti FSG I don't really have an axe to grind with them necessarily but I do wonder whether maybe they might be kind of concerned that if we're not in this Champions League again the season after this one whether the, the valuation of the club, particularly in a time where it seems like they're starting, well, seriously considering selling, they might think a few extra kind of, I don't know, an extra 35 million or whatever here or there might kind of help safeguard their 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 investment a little bit until it comes time to sell, let's say, two years from now after the United deal is concluded uh, and they're in a bit better position in terms of investment. But who knows? Who knows? Well, that's what I'd hope because the the success of the FSG model is is predicated on being in the Champions League, and um, you need to kind of obviously invest to get Liverpool back to that level of where you say, Jamie, where they can just qualify year in year out. But yeah, we'll leave it there for this podcast. Um, thanks very much, uh, Chris and Jamie, uh, for coming on. Um, so we'll be back next week uh, with another episode. Um, in the meantime. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on Spotify. Um, We'd really appreciate it. And also a five-star review on Apple Podcasts would be great as well. And remember, you can email us, redsubmachectorpodcast at gmail.com. But yeah, we'll be back with uh, another podcast next week. And in the meantime, let's all enjoy Liverpool. Um, 
agreeing a deal for their second signing of the summer, Dominic Sobersly from RB Leipzig. So yeah, take care until the next one.